Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Today we're talking with, well, you're talking with me. I'm doing a solo podcast today. We had so many questions coming in and some were just uh, kind of generic ones. I thought I'd answer those myself. Since uh, we had Coach Harvey Hyde on Monday, we had Dan Weber on Tuesday. Lots of questions coming in about this USC football team. Lots of questions coming in about the coaching search. So I'll do my best to answer each and every one of those uh, today on the podcast. So, Got a whole bunch of stuff to get to. We really appreciate all the feedback that you guys send us. So if you want to get a hold of us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's the easiest. That's our email address. You can do that at any time, or you can go to our website, parastylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail from your computer or your device. Or if you want to use a regular old phone, give us a call, 641-715-3900, extension 816-646. You can leave a voicemail right there. Try to keep voicemail short. Anything longer than a minute, we're not going to play it on the on the podcast. Keep the questions concise as well. They can be a little complicated, but we want to keep them short and tight so we can read them on the air quickly and get you an answer quickly. Of course, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Go to iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. Check it out there. Uh, if you want to consume the podcast a number of different ways, you can do it through iTunes. You can do it through any podcasting app, listen to your car. Listen at the gym while you're going for a jog, whatever you want to do. But you can usually do that through iTunes and go to iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. All right. So a lot of stuff to get to today. Of course, uh, USC beats California 27-21. We talked quite a bit about that uh, on the Monday and Tuesday shows of the podcast. So it's cool. Hope you guys can check that out. Um, also, of course, Arizona's coming up. And uh, it's a team that's really struggling right now. So in the bottom half of the uh, Pac-12 South. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Of course, the coaching search, everything that's going on. So I'll do my best to answer all of your questions here on the podcast. All right. Well, let's jump right into the questions here. We'll start off uh, with Percy. He says, can we hire Norm Chow, please? By the way, I still think Ronald Jones II needs to be the starter over Davis and Madden and then Davis and Madden after that. Um, Norm Chow, no. Okay. So here's the thing. When you're going to ask me, if you ask me a question about head coaches, I kind of gave you my criteria before. Um, no one that had anything to do with the Pete Carroll tree. Nothing. Nobody. Maybe if you want to talk about bringing Pete Carroll back, but even that, I'm not even sure that's the greatest idea. But, you know, that would be very interesting, and that would be a lot of fun to cover. But I just don't think uh, anyone from the, from the Pete Carroll tree, it's not worked out that well. I think you have to move on. I think – Everyone wants to try to bring the band back together for some reason. It's like people, you know, Clancy Pendergast was around for one year, but he had the top defense of the Pac-12, and that's a name people know. Do you think there's other defensive coordinators out there who you don't know of, but they're better? Like that's that's the issue I have. It seems like people are looking at. Well, I know that I've heard of that guy. He's here, or I, he was here before, and just I, forget that. Forget the people that were here before. You don't want that. You want something new. Norm Chow was great back in the day. He's older now. I uh, it's it, I just don't think that's the right way to go in any capacity. He didn't even say what he wanted him for. And Ronald Jones being the starter, I mean, I he's the most explosive back on the roster for sure. I think they're as long as they keep running him, I'm fine with it. They didn't run him as much as I thought they should have against Cal. They said it was banged up knee, but he's looked fine to me. So uh, you know, he'll keep working on pass protection. He'll keep working on catches passes, but I think you need him in there. He's a home run threat. All the backs have done, I think they've done great things. But for me, I agree with you. I think uh, Jones is the man back there right now. All right, let's go to Ron from Northern Virginia. I said, wanted to thank you for the great show, keeping us East Coast Trojans up to date on what's going on back at Troy. I have a simple question. Like most Trojans, uh, wanted to run Justin Wilcox out of town for the past year and a half. In the last two weeks, however, the defense is playing smash mouth football. And making plays. This can't be all attributed to Coach Helton, can it? What has changed in the past two weeks that has helped our boys on defense be able to shut down Utah and Cal's high-powered offenses? Is it as simple as winning the time possession on offense and keeping the defense fresh? Thanks to Fight On from Ron. 
I think it's actually a number of things. And I thought Dan had some good points on our Tuesday show. Um, I think at some points in the early part of the season, and I think you saw this a lot in the Washington game, there was some scared coaching going on. There was some, well, worried about this. This could happen. This could bite you. You got to protect against that. It wasn't like, hey, here's what we do. Let's go out and do it. And, you know, this is what we want to do. If something bad happens, it happens. But you can't coach scared. And I think there was some coaching scared going on. I think, you know, Steve Sarkeesian knew he had to beat Washington. All the pressure of being his former team and all these guys that he uh, coached there before, I do feel like there was, you know, a sense from the very beginning that he was pushing, that he was pressing. And it wasn't, that's not the way to win football games. And I think Clay Helton's been more involved on the defense. I think there's been more encouragement to, to be more aggressive and not worry about the ramifications if something happens. Uh, I think the secondary is playing a lot better. They're getting some penalties, but they're, you know, limiting explosive plays, getting their hands on footballs. So I think they're in the right position and they're getting closer. Um, I think you're seeing more pressure up front, uh, some more individual battles being won. Certainly not perfect. I think there's a lot of room for improvement. The last couple of touchdowns Cal scored, not that impressed uh, with the defensive effort there. But uh, I do think um, there's been a change. And it, it's not just Clay Helton, but it's it's because of Clay Helton, because he, a new guy's taken over and putting his little, uh, he's putting his handle on things. He's, put, he's painting, painting his color, I guess you could say. So I think it has a lot to do with it. Um, the way these guys are coaching, I think a lot of these guys are coaching for their jobs too. So that, that changes things as well. I mean, guys are working hard. They want to be retained. They want to impress if Clay Helton gets a job or in the new guy or whatever, or for their next job. So they have a lot to coach for. And I think some of the shackles maybe are off a little bit now would be my opinion there. Let's go to Justin in the OC. He says, Pat Hayden is stepping down from the playoff committee for quote unquote medical reasons. Well, that would be the reason. Yes. He collapsed before the Notre Dame game. He wasn't at the Utah or Cal games. As you remember, I'm no fan of Pat Hayden. Uh, okay, Justin, I do remember that. He says, but putting that aside for a second, should he step down from the AD position at USC to take care of himself and not repeat the Sark problem at a higher level? Uh, it just doesn't seem like he'd be able to do what's necessary right now, regardless of your opinion of how he's performed as AD thus far. Love the show. Justin in the OC. I think, I mean, no one really knows what's going on medically uh, with Pat Hayden besides him and his team, his family, and people close to him. I mean, we really don't know. Um, you know, all that's going on there, we just don't. And I don't think we could make that call that he should step down because, you know, his health could end up making him make some other poor decision. I think you really have to look at his track record. He's a you know legendary USC guy. A lot of people love him. Um, a lot of people don't. And there's a lot of uh, alumni and fans and former players that are very critical of the job he did. And I you know I like him as a person. I I you know I think he's done a great job. There's a lot of things he's done a really good job at. But the problem is the most important things. I don't think he's done a good job at. Well, you could argue what's most important, like graduation rates and raising funds and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he's done a great job of all that. And I think he'll be wonderful with the Coliseum, uh, raising money for that. Um, it's going to help if the team wins. Um, the issue I have with is, is he the right guy to make the, the next coaching hire? And, uh, I mean, I, I tend to think he's not. Um, you know, Dan Weber will, will talk about this too. And he's talked about it. I mean, I, I, I don't agree with the way he – he's a road scholar. He's a super smart guy. I think I'm a smart guy. I have a master's in electrical engineering. But he's a road scholar. He's probably smarter than me. Um, but – when you look at the decisions that were made, I think you can see the reasoning behind them, but you could argue that they were all wrong as far as the major programs go with not fighting the NCAA sanctions. That was just the wrong decision. Like, that was not the right decision. It was completely – it was wrong. It's the only university that got hit hard, that didn't fight back the way they should have fought back and not just going through regular channels. Uh, they needed to do something above and beyond. Did not, and I think it really hurt USC there. Um, the Kevin O'Neill stuff – there was an alcohol problem there too. Um, he should have really been fired the year before and not brought back. And then hiring an Andy Enfield, which has not looked good so far, maybe he turns it around this year. That hasn't been good either. The football side, you know, you know what the, you know, not getting rid of Lane Kiffin after the Sun Bowl, having to fire him on a tarmac, not disciplining Steve Sarkeesian, you know, hiring Steve Sarkeesian. 
uh, you know, not bringing back Ed Orgeron for a, a year. I mean, all these decisions, if you made the opposite one, the program would have been better. So you, you have to own that. I mean, he owns it. He knows he, the decisions he made. He might argue with some of my points there that, hey, we did what we could against the NCAA. I mean, I don't buy it at all. And the people I've talked to, you could have something done other things. You could have threatened them. You could have put more pressure on them. I get that. I mean, you understand that he wanted to play nice and, and try to go about the right way, and he's a nice guy. But the NCAA was not playing nice. They were not playing fair. And they were really trying, in my opinion, just trying to screw USC over. I do. I believe that. And I think that USC could have fought back and changed the outcome. It's pretty much too late now. There's still things you can do. The more the Todd McNair lawsuit goes on, he's going to make, you know, eight figures likely from the NCAA. So he was wrongly, you know, he was wronged and he was the linchpin of how they nailed USC. So that should tell you something right there. He's going to make a lot of money, and USC needed to find out everything that he knew, everything that the NCAA did wrong, and bring to them. If it's behind closed doors, if it's through a court, whatever you got to do, you had to do something, didn't do it. So anyway, that's my rant about uh, Pat Hayden. So, I mean, love him. Great guy. I don't know if he's the right guy to make this co- college coaching decision. It looks like he's going to make it. Um, but I think no matter what he does, he'll ride off into the sunset. They're not going to fire him or do it. They're not going to do anything to you know ruin his reputation or tarnish his reputation. I don't think he really could. It's so stellar. Um, but I do think that he'll be around to at least do the Coliseum and looks like likely he'll do the coaching search as well. So uh, that's what you got there. Thanks, Justin, for that one. Went a little longer than I wanted to, but you know, that happens sometimes. And we got another Justin, different Justin. I won't say his last name. He says, how can the NCAA vacate wins and a national championship for USC, but not reverse the error of the Miami Duke game. It makes no sense to me. Um, so USC was vac- vacated those wins, and we were just talking about that, that I, I think is is crap. But um, you're not talking about reversing. They didn't award a win to somebody else. They just vacated the wins. So what you're talking about with the end of the Miami Duke game, and there's pretty strict rules about in the NCAA rulebook about at the end of the game, when it all comes in, that's it. Like, it's over. Um, so that's talking about reversing the outcome of a game, taking a win from someone and giving it to someone else. That's very different than the vacating the wins that have gone back. So, Justin, that's the biggest difference uh, there. Let me uh, – why don't we go to a voicemail question here? We got, we got a few of those. Um, I'll play this one for you. Here you go. Hi, Ryan. This is David from Agura Hills. Uh, just a quick question. Why haven't we seen Cyrus Hobby, uh, who came back and joined the team in the jumbo packages? Uh, thanks so much for answering my question and fight on. Thanks for that question. And, uh, yeah, for Cyrus Hobby, you know, I really thought he was going to be, have a bigger role. I thought that coming in, he would be like a free scholarship. They could have given him a scholarship and, you know, wouldn't have count as initial scholarship because he was already on scholarship. Um, you know, he looked, he's looked pretty good in the, uh, the summer workouts. Um, he's mostly doing scout team stuff right now. They haven't really used the tight ends as, as big blocker guys. They don't really have, you know, he's a different kind of guy. He's a different kind of tight end. Hasn't really been part of the offense. So to me, it's, you know, I, I guess it's what they feel about him, but it's also just not really a big part of this offense. The tight ends have not been a big part of the offense, no matter what. I think they've, started to use those fullbacks as kind of the, you know, blocking guys. They've, they've had them come down and, and play those positions and look like a tight end every once in a while. Um, so I think they rather feel comfortable with the two senior scholarship fullbacks in those roles uh, than bringing in Cyrus Hobby. But, yeah, I thought it would be a, a kind of a cool story when he came back and, you know, would would get some playing time. and But, yeah, it just really hasn't worked out there. And I think a lot of it has to do – I mean, I, I think if they felt that he was, like, the best guy out there, they would figure out a way to get him in the offense, but they haven't really done that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's nice that he's, you know, back with the team and being able to, you know, work on his, his graduate degree and all that kind of stuff. Um, like you, I kind of thought he'd have a bigger role, but he just doesn't at this point. Let's go to Jer. I think, it, I don't know if it was Jerry, or if I just cut off the Y. Uh, Jer, uh, is there a special brotherhood amongst coaches, even the fired ones? It seems quite puzzling that all of a sudden the 
team seems to be gelling, even though the majority of the staff is Sark's assistants. Did Sark actually have more control over his assistants than players or staff are willing to admit? Basically, tying their hands and dictating them how they had to coach, quote-unquote, had to coach. I'm wondering if Clay is unwilling to state that the reason of their ineptness was due to Sark's influence. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that is there a brotherhood among coaches? I mean, I think, okay, so Clay Helton's a very loyal guy. Um, was loyal to Kiffin, was loyal to Steve Sarkeesian. He's not going to throw Sark under the bus. It's not, I don't think that's just some brotherhood. That's just, I mean, man card, whatever you want to call it. I just think that, that you're, that's not really going to happen. If they had a horrible relationship or something, sure, maybe. But even then, I just don't think anything like that would kind of happen. But you've seen what the interim coaches were able to do. Ed Orgeron went eight and two. I mean, uh, six and two. Uh, out of eight games, he went six and two. Clay Elton won his bowl game. He's won two more. He's he's three and one so far. Um, those are better percentages uh, than you know. Actually, the same percentage, but better percentages than what the guys USC hired were for Kiffin or for Sark. Um, crazy that Sark only lasted eighteen games, which is it's, that's nuts. Um, but you know they're doing a better job. I think sometimes. A head coach has their philosophy, and you have you have a plan, and you're sticking to the plan. Doesn't mean the plan is good. Doesn't mean it's not. But sometimes the plan doesn't work. You're kind of moving along, and just people are buying in, or they did in the beginning, and it's not working, and now they don't trust you, and it's just not you know players are like, eh, I don't think like even assistant coaches. So you go along with the plan. Just because things aren't working doesn't necessarily mean you're going to kill the plan, mix it up. You've seen that happen many times before. Coaches are very stubborn. Uh, they're going down with the ship. They're, they got their plan. It's very rare when you see someone, hey, this isn't working. We got to switch this all up. Um, I don't think you see that very often, if, if ever. And so I think when you have a change like that, it allows, well, that change at the top allows other kinds of change. And I think make it a few tweaks here and there. He can't go in and change all the schemes, and he's talked about that. I think he can make some tweaks, but if he was taking over and he had an off season to kind of get ready, he would probably change the offense. He would probably change. There would be a lot of things that are changing. So you kind of have to keep most of the things the same. The players are still there, which you know were talented, but some of the stuff that wasn't working, he's at least able to make a tweak and say, hey, I didn't make that call and said we had to go down this road. I'm changing it. We're going to now go down this road. And you can do things when, especially that road was a dead end, and you keep going down there because of, of stubbornness or just that's, you know, you don't want to abandon the philosophy. So I think that um, that's a lot of what's going on here. I, you know, what would be the results if Ed Orgeron took over? And that's what a lot of the question was when people wanted Ed Orgeron. They're like, hey, he did a good job, but what happens when he has a whole offseason to implement his schemes and his philosophies? What would change? Would it be good? Would it be bad? You know, it, it might be worse than what it was taken over somebody else's and that's a you know that's a fair point we just don't know it wasn't really fair uh did Ed Ordron you know did he deserve a shot I think he did but he was given a great opportunity which you know I don't think he you know he was a coach that would that had the resume to become the head coach at USC um same thing with Clay Helton so they both are put in unfair situations but they're both giving opportunities that people in there with their resumes would not have been given so I think it's kind of a double-edged sword there I hope that makes sense and answers your question. Let's go to Jeff, the math teacher in Fountain Valley. He says, Norm Chow just lost his job at Hawaii. Ryan, would you be opposed to him being considered for an OC position for next year? I know it all kinds of depends on who the head coach ends up being, but if I'm curious what your gut reaction is, fight on, Jeff, the math teacher. You kind of got my reaction at the top of the show. My gut reaction is is a, a heaving one. No. Um, so this is the other pet peeve I kind of have. Uh, when I get on Twitter and all that kind of stuff, people are talking about, we need this assistant, we need this assistant. Look, if you want to hire a great head coach, a great leader of men, you don't shackle him by saying, here's here's uh, 10 assistant coaches we want you to hire, or whatever. You can't do that. Okay, we want you, but we're bringing in Norm Chow as the offensive coordinator. Um, you just can't do that. Now, with Sark, they tried to do that with Ed Orgeron. And, you know, Sark really... Here's the issue that I have with that. Do you really want to hire someone that you have to require them to hire a certain assistant coach? 
Like, that's not the kind of guy USC should go after. That's not the guy USC should hire. When Steve Sarkeesian was hired by USC, what school in the Pac-12 would have hired him at that point? Pretty much just USC. Like, would Oregon State was that, you know what, we're going to go out and we're going to hire Sark. Uh, he's been, you know, around 500, a little better than 500 at Washington. I think he's our guy. I don't think they would have, you know, if they had an opening. It's it's really was a USC thing. It was the USC connection. It was, you know, in my opinion, it was a reach. And I it could have worked out. It obviously did not. But that was a situation where USC was trying to give him an assistant coach, make Ed Orgeron stay on. You had to keep him on. Ed didn't want to stay. You know, you kind of own that whole story. But I don't think you can say, hey, uh, Chip Kelly, we want to hire you. Or John Harbaugh or Kevin Sumlin, come on in. We want you to be the USC head coach. But we want you to have Norm Chow as the offensive coordinator. We had a couple great years when he was the offensive coordinator. We'd love for you to keep him. You can't do that. So, no, I'm not a fan of let's bring in an assistant coach and hopefully he fits in, like a questionable assistant coach at that, and hopefully he fits in with the new staff. So I'm not trying to be harsh, but, no, I think that's a horrible, horrible idea. And to be honest, many of the head coaching ideas that I've been getting are absolutely horrible. Um this is USC. It's a top five job. You do not need to reach. You do not need to think outside the box. You want to be in the box. You do not need a diamond in the rough. You want to go right into the dang diamond store and buy the biggest rock you got. You don't, this is USC. You have to do that. So people are looking for all these crazy names because, well, what about this? And then, and then the worst is justifying it with Pete Carroll. Well, Pete Carroll was okay. Pete Carroll was once in a generation. He was a washout in the NFL, got fired from two different teams. Does that mean every washed out, fired NFL head coach is going to be great because Pete Carroll did that? No, you can't justify it like that. There was a lot of factors that go in with Pete Carroll. He was a people person. He was a college rah-rah guy. Like people mentioned like Ken Wisenhut. He is not that kind of guy. People don't like him. You know what I mean? There's just not, it's very, very different. So I think the NFL to college thing can work, but it has to be a great situation. The Pete Carroll thing ended up being a great situation. Um, and obviously that worked out for USC. This is from Orest, O-R-E-S-T. He said, Ronald Jones is obviously USC's most productive back, but Justin Davis got the most carries and least yards of the three main running backs in Saturday's game against Cal. Uh, why is this happening? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, Justin Davis was a starter the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, with Trey Madden when he went down, and we got to see more Justin Davis. We got to see more Ronald Jones. Trey Madden came back, probably had the biggest play of the game when he was stopped at the line of scrimmage when they're trying to run out the clock and ends up picking up the first down, breaking it outside. So I think all three of them bring something different to the table. And the weird thing is, though, they're kind of getting carries in different situations. Um, you know, I'd like to see guys get, you know, stick with a guy for a drive or so. I mean, it's, it was times this year where Trey Madden would get three good carries in a row and they pull him. And, and put a guy like Ronald Jones in. And I wasn't, and he fumble, he would fumble or something. And it's just, I want to see guys get in the rhythm. I have no problem with you want to use these different guys and they could be, you know, even in situations. But I think all of them can be the main guy. And maybe you bring in two, you know, running backs or bring in some fullbacks. But I'd like to see him get a whole drive and then maybe mix it up with the next one. And if a guy gets hot and you, you know, everyone's got a shot and someone gets hot, feed him, you know, and we just haven't seen that a whole lot. But thanks for that question there. Let's go. It says, I noticed that Greg Townsend Jr. is having a good season considering he is winning most of his one-on-one matchups and providing uh, consistent pressure off the edge. Do you see him as potentially uh, early to mid-round draft pick as a pass rusher? And if not, what does he need to do in order to take that next step and become an elite player? Can he play? Uh, can his play be improved by more strength, speed, or power? Or is he just lacking technique? Jonathan from Chatsworth. Uh, yeah, I think he's been a big contributor this year, but I think there's, you're, there's two different things. You're talking about what he can do in college and how he projects in the NFL. His production in college doesn't really mean a whole lot. It's going to be his measurables and what he's done. You know, what he does on film, it matters. But if he's big, strong, fast, and everyone, you know, they, he's going to get a look in the NFL. The problem is the scouts I've talked to look at these seniors on the USC defensive line and don't really see anyone that's worth it. I don't think he's going to be an early or mid-round draft pick um, as a pass rusher. I think he's certainly stepped up his production 
uh, you know, this final year. But there's been a lot of his career where he hasn't really done a whole lot. That's going to be a ding against him. Um, so we'll see. I mean, but because he does, he kind of looks the part. He's, you know, big, strong, fast kind of dude. I think that'll give him a shot at the combine and all that if he gets invited. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think when you're talking about he's a fifth-year senior and this is the first time he's really done anything, that can be a little bit of a red flag. But he certainly can get better. He's, I think he's doing, like you said, I think he's winning some more of his uh, one-on-one matchups and stuff. Um, but they, as a whole, this defense needs to get more pressure with their front four. It's happening at times, but just too much. They are playing on the wrong side of the line of scrimmage. So I, I, I you know, I'm no NFL draft expert. The guys I talked to at R had never mentioned him as someone that they thought would be drafted, let alone early to mid round. So maybe that changes later on, but that's kind of the feedback I've got so far. Uh, why don't we go to a voicemail question? Let's go. We'll play this one. Here you go. Hey, guys. Bennett Rowan in Reno, Nevada. Impressed with the physical play once again this week, and especially in the second half from the defense, especially in the run defense, and then in our rushing attack. Looked really good, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, I had a quick question about Clay Hilton. It seems like he has the players' backs, and like he's really making some strides. Team looks a lot more physical, a lot more dominant, kind of what we were expecting to see at the beginning of the season. I think he'd be a decent candidate so far. The only question I have, and I haven't really heard many answers for, is how does he stack up as a recruiter? I just was wondering if you guys had any perspective on that. Thanks. Yeah, good points there. No, I think that, like we said, the team's playing better. I think they're playing more physical. They're uh, leaving it more out in the field. There's certainly been some issues. Uh, They didn't play as consistent as I thought they might after the Utah game. They didn't play near to that level uh, against Cal, but, you know, good enough to win. Uh, yeah, he's a candidate. He's going to be a candidate. I think to me, he has to win out to be considered. Um, and even then it's no guarantee in my opinion. Um, as a recruiter. Yeah. I mean, I think he's done a decent job. He's not been, he's not one of those guys that was like the, the hotshot assistant making all the, you know, calls, but I, I don't think, I think he's good enough at recruiting and, and we haven't seen him as a head coach and, and what the calls he would have to make, the evaluations and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's one thing we'd have to kind of see down the road. But I I think for USC, you just don't want to be uh, a bad recruiter. You don't want to be someone that just doesn't care about recruiting that much, is not that into it. You don't think it's worth giving your time a day to 16 and 17-year-olds because that's really how you're, you're going to make your, you know, make your name is by recruiting. So at USC, as long as the guy isn't terrible at recruiting, and, and Clay Hilton certainly is not terrible, I think you'll be okay. You don't have to worry about that. Um, too much there. So, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of, will he be considered? I think, like I said, I think if he wins out, uh, he will. Um, but like I said, it's a, it's a great opportunity because some with his resume wouldn't have been hired off the street to be the head coach at USC. So he's given this opportunity and he's got to make the most of it. Now, is it fair? Because like, well, he had this, he had to take over that. Yeah. You can say all those things that, He's an interim. It's all Sark's guys. It's Sark's philosophy. He's got to change it on the fly. That is all very true. But it's still an opportunity that most coaches don't get, so you have to jump on and make it. It's not a fair opportunity, I guess you could say, but it's probably not fair that there's other great, you know, assistant coaches in the, around the country that have good head coaches, and so they're not, they don't get to take over a program. It's happened twice in the last three years at USC, and um, I think it helped Ed Orgeron's resume for sure. We still might see him get a head coaching job somewhere down the road. And I think this certainly is helping Clay Helton's resume. Um, he already has a bull win as an interim coach. He's got a chance to to make a run and do another, get another good bowl game, even win the Pac-12 South potentially, uh, depending on what happens. So it's a great opportunity for him if he doesn't get the job at USC. I think it opens up so many other opportunities for him as well. Uh, Ray wrote in, says, okay, this is going to be terrible. What do you think about going way out of left field on the next head coaching candidate? I think that's a horrible, 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 horrible idea. So that's the first part of this question. I was reading up on Coastal Carolina head coach Joe Magilla. I think that's how you say his name. I don't even know how to say his name. That's that he's not going to be considered. After listening to his interview on Dan Levitard's show, he is one impressive guy. I know he's an FCS coach, but I figure at such a successful person in life, why not give him a look? Ray. Ray, you know, I 
I'm not sure what it is with USC fans that they're, it's like you want to try to find the the diamond in the rough, the outside the box thing, uh, off the beaten path, any of those cliches you want to say, that's not USC. Why do you want to find that? Do you just want to write in and have, no one's mentioned his name. You know why no one's mentioned his name? Because he's a coach at Coastal Carolina. That's a pretty big jump to go from Coastal Carolina to USC. Do you see that happening all the time, ever? No. USC's done this too often, where they got guys. How how many how many programs in the country would have hired Lane Kiffin? Now he was a head coach at Tennessee for one year. The Tennessee's a good job, and my wife's downstairs, so if she heard me say otherwise, she'd be throwing pots and pans at me. It's a good job, but would there be a lot of programs like jumping over, you know, jumping through hoops to try to, you know, what we need? We need to go get Lane Kiffin. He's been at Tennessee for a year. Not a lot of programs would do that, if any. And USC, a top-five job, did that. Steve Sarkeesian, five years at, at Washington, I think did a good job of taking an 0-12 team, making them a bowl team. Even Pac-12 teams, you know, look at Purdue. What do you think of Purdue and USC? Would Purdue have gone out and hired Steve Sarkeesian? I don't think so. Would, like, Iowa State? No. So those programs wouldn't have hired him. Why did USC? Well, because you knew him. Like, that's a good reason. Okay, so USC's already done off the beaten path. Hiring guys that were head scratchers out of the box the last two times. Cannot afford to hire another head scratcher. And Coastal Carolina's head coach from the SCS world would be a head scratcher. So, Ray, take that email and you go to the, your sent email. Make sure you delete that. I'm going to delete it from here. We're going to never speak of this again. And after you get this podcast, just delete it from your phone or however you got it. So we never want to talk about that again. So no, I think that's a terrible idea. I'm not trying to be mean, but I need to get USC fans stepping away from the trying to pick, you know, the needle out of the haystack and just get the big name, get the the huge, this is the guy, here's who we want, grab him. That's the guy you want to look at, not guys from Coastal Carolina. All right, rant over on that one. Uh, oh, man, we have another... We have a voicemail question that has to do with Norm Chow. All right, here we go. Hello, Ryan. This is Lee from Reno Valley, California. I understand uh, that uh, Norm Chow was uh, fired from Hawaii. Um, in my opinion, he's the only uh, coach uh, from the uh, Pete Carroll uh, coaching tree that USC should bring back. Uh, during uh, his time at USC, uh, the USC offense was pretty much unstoppable. Uh, they did everything that uh, needed to be done uh, since he's been gone. There have been huge flaws. I remember uh, when uh, Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin took over those duties. Uh, USC did not uh, win any national championships. Uh, they won Rose Bowls, uh, but that was pretty much it. Uh, Norm Chow uh, helped us win those uh, national championships. Uh, so I believe that Pat Hayden uh, should talk Clay Helton and bring uh, Norm Chow back as offensive coordinator. Uh, I was wondering what you and uh, Dan Weber uh, thought of that. Thank you. Um, okay, I talked to Dan Weber about this actually at practice, and he thinks it's a horrible idea as well. So no offense, and I, I feel bad when we're like kind of shooting these things down. We talked about it a little bit already. I'll, I'll mention it again. Um, that was How long ago was that? when USC and Norm Chow and everything, it worked well. You had Pete Carroll's defense. You had Norm Chow's offense. There were some ego clashes and everything went on, but that was good. But that was more than 10 years ago. And he's older now. He's been a head coach. You want to bring him back and try to relive the glory. It's, it's not. I think USC's tried to relive the glory. And maybe he was the best assistant under the Pete Carroll coaching tree. But you've already done it twice. You can't do it again. You just can't. You can't go back there. You have to break free. Break free, people. Break free, everyone. Remove yourselves from the tree of Pete Carroll. No more Pete Carroll coaches. That's another, that's a That's a past life. You have to move on. You have to get on, get on the horse, get on a new horse, and ride off in a completely different direction. So you can have some similar philosophies. But you're trying to recreate what was there because you saw it and it worked. You can't do that anymore. So, no on Norm Chow. So if you, this is a vo voting was yesterday, you know, no on Measure M or whatever you want to say. No on Norm Chow. I'm sorry. Nice guy. Uh, I like him. It was fun dealing with him. But I think it's you know it's not really 
that's the the great direction USC should go as far as an offensive coordinator goes at this point. All right, let's go to Clevens. I think there was three Norm Chow questions. So he gets fired. He becomes a big topic out here. Clevens, he says, I'm listening to your podcast with Dan. So that was a Tuesday podcast. If Clay continues to improve while galvanizing the team, give him a one-year contract with an option. I believe this was the original contract offered to John McKay back in 1960. Wow. I was not around for that, so I'm not sure. Most everyone seems to want a quick fix. This mess didn't happen overnight. It was years in the making, and it won't be resolved overnight. This would give us necessary time to vet the process, uh, which includes an orderly, seamless transition from Pat Hayden to a new athletic director. Pat was brought in as a change agent, and he satisfied his job responsibilities. The new AD would also have the opportunity to either retain Helton or pick a new head coach. No more Band-Aids. Fight on Clemens. So I agree with some of this. I agreed no more Band-Aids. Um, I think the the temporary contract would have been really good for Ed Orgeron because in that situation, you were under sanctions and you're going to be coming off sanctions and it was going to be a difficult transition no matter what. So coming off of that, I think you could have let Orgeron take over on a temporary basis and see what he does and, and, and build up to you know, have some other head coach. I think he would be happy with like another year opportunity to be a head coach. And if they fell on their face, you could just go on a different direction. If he did well, and you still want to bring someone else in, he would have another year of head coaching under his belt at USC did well, not just an interim, but as the regular head coach, um, temporary or whatever you want to say. And then he could go on and get a head coaching job somewhere else. I think it was harder for him after eight games to go get a head coaching job Transition-wise, I think USC would be in a much, much, much better place if you would have signed Ed Orgeron to a year or two deal. And then at, at the end of this year, you could have considered, you know, hey, where where's this team right now? He helped with a transition out of sanctions. Let's move on, and we're going to go, you know, with somebody else. Or we want, you know, Ed Orgeron's been the greatest head coach ever. He won a national championship or whatever it is. Let him stay. I think there would have been good options. I don't think that's really a good option for Clay Helton. So, um, I think that was and it's another thing with that that ship has sailed. I think that would have been good two years ago. Don't necessarily think it would be good now. USC has a ton of young talent. USC with a better head coach would likely have zero or one losses this year. So it's not like you need a band aid. It's not like you need. It's, you're looking for a quick fix. I mean, it, if you fix it, it's going to be quick. It's like you bring in someone, and you saw what you know Jim McElwain was able to do. Uh, you know, at Florida, um, there's so many you know opportunities here because the team is young and there's a lot of talent. So I think that you get the right coach. It's not a bandaid and you're not, it's not necessarily a quick fix, but you're going to fix things in a hurry. And you know, it's not this negative stereotype of a quick fix. You're going to fix things quickly with a good hire because this team is very talented and there's the rosters back up to to close to where it should be. There's a lot of opportunities for a head coach who should be able to come in and win right away, like win Pac-12 championships right away with this team right now. So, um, yeah. So I, I don't, and with the the Pat Hayden stuff, I agree. I, I think there's going to be some sort of transition there. I just don't know when it's going to be. Um, but I think that if you want to postpone hiring a head coach because you want to get you know have Pat Hayden leave in a year or so. I think you'd better off be doing that now. Um, but you need to get a good, solid, I think, outside head coach right now, almost no matter what Clay Helton does. Um, and it's great. I mean, I think it's awesome what he's doing. And if he keeps winning, that's great. But I just think for this program, short of him, you know, making some kind of run and and somehow, you know, winning the Rose Bowl or whatever, I, I, I just don't. I just think you really would be better off hiring a solid outside the program surefire, can't miss head coach for USC. You know, one more thing on that. Part of it's to do with like the Jim McElwain's and the Jim Harbaugh's of the world. They're coming there were a program that was struggling and instant success. There's talent. They changed the philosophy. You have instant, instant success. So that's what you can do at USC. That's why I think you need to bring in someone strong, bring them right away and go with it. So all right, thanks for that question. We got a couple more here. David says, Dan was talking about programs like Michigan and Ohio State hired the right guys because of timing and allegiance to the state slash program. 
Why is nobody talking about Jack Del Rio? Ricky Ellison said in a Facebook rant to the Trojan Football Alumni Club that he spoke with Jack Del Rio earlier this year, and Del Rio said he would have taken the job if it was offered. I believe his salary with the Raiders is the lowest in the NFL, and his contract is very short-term as well. Thoughts? Thanks for fight on, David. Um, no, I mean, Jack Del Rio, of course, a USC legend. I had heard different that, you know, Del Rio was not interested before. He's more of an NFL guy. But he's a guy that you can certainly talk to. I think situationally right now, I think the Raiders have turned around. It, it doesn't seem like a great fit. For any NFL guy, I think it has to be the perfect fit. Now, person-wise, if he was unemployed or whatever, that would be much better. But the fact that he's, you know, a new head coach for the Raiders, they've turned things around. Um, they're, do, you know, doing, you know, he hasn't been there that long. It's just, to me, that's just not a great fit right now. So people have certainly talked about Jack Del Rio. Anyone that's ever, you know, played at USC, if there's a coach somewhere, people want to talk about it because it's a USC tie. I don't think you need to be tied to USC ties. Forget the USC ties. Now, if it was going to work out just and he happens to be a USC guy, yeah, that's fine. His situation right now, to me, uh, is not ideal. And speaking of Ricky Ellison, uh, we're going to have him on the show on Thursday. So that should be very interesting. He went off on a Facebook rant that you had mentioned um, talking about, you know, really uh, trashing Pat Hayden and the job that he's been doing. So we wanted to kind of get his thoughts on uh, all of that. So we'll we'll get him on the show this week. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, but stay tuned for that, David. And thanks for, for writing in there. All right. Um, we have Dennis, Dennis and Lancaster. If Clay wins out and has a bowl win, do you think that his chances of getting hired as the head coach would increase if he had the, if he had a plan to bring in a strong OC and DC. Love the show. Fight on, Dennis. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point that if he starts winning, they'll, you have to win. So no winning, you're not getting picked. Um, but he is winning out. And I think the coaches feel like they have a shot. Um, that would be a very interesting strategy to go. It looks like they're going to win out. Uh, they'll make the Pac-12 championship game. We'll, you know, Whatever happens, say they do something like that. And he goes to Pat Hayden with his plan. Here's my plan for when I take over next year. And I want to bring in this. I want to do that. I'm going to, you know, this is going to be my offensive coordinator. Um, this is going to be my defensive coordinator. I wanted to bring in this assistant or whatever it is. Here's how the philosophy is going to change. We're going to run a little bit more this way. We're going to be more under center. Um, and he could sell that to Pat Hayden. I think it would increase his chances. I think it shows, you know, he had thought about it. And here's his plan. And if they like the plan, I think it's definitely something worth, uh, you know, what he could do. So, yeah, I think I think that's great. It would have an opportunity to, uh, you know, to just you know really increase his chances. I'm not saying you have to get rid of a bunch of assistants or whatever um, to do that, but if there was, you know, people felt if he felt like, hey, I know I could get this guy. I've talked to him, and he's going to come from this school and blah blah blah. I think that would be something that would at least give Pat Hayton more to think about. All right, we're rolling through these. Let's go to Sir Eric of Troy. Um, these are actually some that came in the week before that I didn't get a chance. I was going to do a solo podcast, didn't get a chance to. So I'm going to do a, a select few of these before we uh, end this one. But Sir Eric of Troy says, it's no secret that many are skeptical of Hayden's decision-making skills concerning the selection of a new head coach. In an attempt to regain the confidence of the Trojan faithful, would it be a good idea for him to, quote-unquote, openly reveal the USC family at large, who he is considering. Would this be any sort of NCAA violation or breach of employment law concerning privacy? I've heard the NFL owners and such open, openly asking for permission to speak with a certain coach they're interested in, and it's revealed to the public. I personally think if Hayden does not keep his targets a secret like he did before, many will feel that this time he's actively seeking the highest profile coach as possible, rather than his own quote-unquote personal favorite, for his own personal reasons, which I truly believe was done when he hired Sark. I agree with you. Um, what is the opinion of my suggestion? Uh, I've always stated that I trust and respect the commentary from you and your guest hosts much more than any other media outlet covering USC football. Thanks. Uh, fight on, Sir Eric of Troy. Yeah, so the, the biggest issue with that is that say you want to talk to Kevin Sublin, he doesn't really necessarily want it out. If you're talking to some NFL guy, I mean, a lot of times the coaches themselves don't want it out. So there's a, a lot of behind the scenes secrecy stuff going on because on both sides, you know, and then at, for a school, you don't want to like people to find out that you talked to 10 different people. It got turned down a bunch. 
I think in this situation, though, I think you could do something like that where, you know, if if they were willing to do it, say, hey, you know what? We have a, a list of, we think Chip Kelly coming back to college would be great. We understand that, you know, he's got a great job and he said he doesn't want to come back. He's a guy we would really like. We want to go after him. John Harbaugh, you know, uh, Super Bowl winner, um, just all class. He's been great uh, with the Ravens. I know they're having some struggles this year. If he had some interest in coming back to college, he's a guy we'd be all over, you know, stuff like that. Like, yeah, maybe. Um, I think there's some some home run kind of guys out there that you could that wouldn't really hurt you if you swung and missed. And then there would be some maybe some college guys you can kind of rely on there, though. But for mostly for the most part, people don't really want to be, you know, for the, a lot of times agents will say like, oh, uh, my client is being talked to by blah, 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 just to kind of boost their own stock. But for the most part, they don't come out and publicly say, yeah, I'm interviewing for the USC job. So I think that's a really big problem there. Uh, Patrick said, there's been much talk of boosters with all the coaching changes. Are boosters just businesses that donate money and make money off the football program? Who are the USC's biggest boosters? And can you provide an example of how they might be involved in the football program? Do they affect any football-related decisions? When you hear about boosters providing recruiting cars, homes, women, and parties, how do they benefit? Thanks for the great work. Uh, okay, so boosters are basically fans. So you're a, an alumni of the school. Say, Patrick, you went to USC, and you went off and you started a company, and it got bought by Google or something, and now, now you're a multimillionaire. And you're still a you were a USC fan before. It was huge. And now you're multimillionaire USC fan. So you're, you're sitting in the better seats. You're donating, you're in all the different clubs. Uh, you're donating a lot more money. And because you donate a lot more money, you get more, you get a little bit of an opinion of what's going on. So there's different committees and, uh, all, there's all this kind of stuff that boosters are involved. It's not necessarily a company. It's usually boosters are people. They're, they're fans of the school. They're boosters. They, they're because they put money behind the school. So they help. Um, money-wise, I mean, you have high school boosters that they help with the the team, help them buy uniforms, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, boosters are are usually big money donors to the program, and so how they could get involved if you talk about recruits and stuff. So if you're a big booster and you call the the local five star recruit and say, "Hey, I'll I'll set your mom up with a a new car if you go to USC," that's where you're overstepping the bounds. You can donate money to the school. You can be, you know, endow a, a, you know, one of the positions on the team and all that kind of stuff, but you can't do that to recruits and try to influence uh, recruited athletes to go to the school there. So that's that's where boosters cross the line. There's very specific rules about the NCAA, who a booster is. Basically, if you buy a season ticket, the NCAA feels that you're a booster. But the typical definition are usually like the big money donors. Now, anyone, you're, you know, you're in the uh, a scholarship club. You're in. Cardinal, you know, Cardinal and Gold, but you're all boosters. Like you're a booster um, in one of those. But usually when they're talking about the boosters, those are the big money guys. Like Brian Kennedy, who has his name on the field, he's a uh, you know fairly famous uh, booster uh, for USC. I think Jerry Buss was a, a big one, you know, owner of the Lakers at the time. So guys like that, that's normally what people are kind of talking about. Um, and what do they get out of it? I mean, they want to see their team win. Uh, you know, Phil Knight's probably the biggest booster in the country, the you know the Nike executive you know starter of Nike you know he backs or he went to Oregon backs Oregon anything you know they get all the uniforms and all that kind of stuff he could do a lot of that being the kind of booster he is so that's that's basically what's going on there um let's see we have Trey in Ontario um he says with our defense playing with more passion and pop uh is this an improvement from coaching or do you think uh a one time flash of greatness Actually, I think that one came after the, the Utah game, too. We saw a little bit more consistency there, though, um, in the Cal game, too, Trey. So I think in that case, it, you know, we talked about a little bit. They made some subtle changes, and I think those changes have helped. I always felt that this defense would just be better. as There's so many athletes. You need to be more aggressive and let guys go out there and make plays. Um, so that's just something that you, I think you let the players play. And I think... Clay Helton is doing that a lot more than what we've seen in the past. He's letting the players play, and I think it's making a big difference. Now, here's one from Frank in Sacramento that's way more interesting. How about uh, Mark D'Antonio 
Is he a guy? Is he the guy if we can get him? So the head coach of uh, Michigan State. The Big Ten is now in the hands of Urban Meyer, Jim Harbaugh, like Woody Hayes and Bo Schemblecker 30 years ago. Uh, D'Antonio has to want to move at this point. Frank and second round. I don't know if he wants to move, but that's more of a name that you'd be like, yeah, he's had a lot of success. Uh, won Rose Bowls at Michigan State. Makes sense. Is he at Coastal Carolina? No. He's at Michigan State. He's winning Rose Bowls. Okay, that's a candidate. So yeah, I think there would be uh I think that would be good for USC to to talk to him and see um if he wants to, you know, if he would want to come out at this point. Let's uh we got Chris who was a USC punter back in the early sixties. Wow, nice Chris. Um more and more teams are using the quote unquote rugby type kicker. Those who play rugby are not the typical straight putters. They're sometimes larger and sometimes faster and tougher. When the rugby style kicker tends runs to the side to kick the ball, uh, when do the roughing the kicker rules go out the door? On a fairly short yardage fourth down, it would not be rocket science to have your rugby kicker just continue to run to the sweep and draw the blocking quarterly. Your thoughts, Chris, USC punter. We actually saw that in the Utah game a little bit. Uh, USC's hit Utah, the Utah punter a couple of times. He's Once he runs outside the pocket, um, he's live. So you can rough him at that point. So, yeah, you can run and do that rugby style, but you're now a runner, and if they crush you, you're crushed, and that's just that's too bad. So, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. You see that a lot more now. And even, you know, we've seen Chris Alvarado. He's starting to do that more. They're having him uh, run to his right and punt. Um, USC Punt Game has been, you know, I like Chris, and he's, he's a cool dude, and I, he can really boom some punts, but for whatever reason, in the game, it's just, I don't know if, what it's going on, but I don't think they're – I mean, they obviously don't have a special teams coach, and I think that certainly hurts. But the punt game has not been very good for USC. Uh, kickoff return uh, coverage has been great. Uh, punt coverage and stuff, you know, really not so much. So, um, yeah, but we're seeing that more even with USC style, even though he's not a rugby-style punter. But once you're outside the pocket, Chris, you are live, and people can take you down. So that's kind of interesting. Um Here's Harold Miner fan says you have done an outstanding job for uscfootball.com. Thank you very much for that. Really changed the way I consume USC football. And we try, we try to, to provide you a lot of different coverage, different ways. I have a general question about you. I'm pretty sure you are a USC alumni. And I assume one of the original drivers for starting uscfootball.com was your passion for the school slash program. Question is, how do you remain objective in your analysis of the program? You seem so even keel, no matter how well or poorly the program is trending. Do you even get emotional about the program like the rest of us? Keep up the great work, Harold Monterfan. Yeah, no, I mean, I went to USC undergrad and grad school. Uh, the reason I started uscfootball.com back in 96 is because I love the football program, follow the team, I would go to all the games, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I started, but I also liked writing. Um, I wasn't a journalism major. I was an electrical engineer. and But I was early adapter of the web because of the engineering background. Started doing all that. And... You know, I write stories. I guess I was pretty good at the writing and, and pretty good at coverage and just kind of grew from there. I joined uh, the Rivals Network in 2001, and it really became more of a business. It was like a side business uh, even before that. But with Rivals, it became more of a business. And in 2004, I ended up quitting my engineering job to do it full time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think at the beginning, not going to journalism school, you don't realize, you know, you know, if you're just a fan of the team and you're like, oh, Gary Klein writes for the LA Times about USC, he's a USC fan. No, he's he's a journalist covering USC. So basically I had to switch from, you know, I was this passionate USC football fan. But once you're doing it as a job and for a living, and if you want to be a credentialed member of the media, you can't be a fan. There's no cheering in the press box. You don't wear USC gear to the, you know, to games, uh, you know, cover high school games. You basically have to kind of remove yourself from that. So, uh, you know, people ask me like, oh, you're still a big USC fan. It's like, well, I mean, it's like your job now. It's like it, it, they kind of take it out of you, sign stuff that you can't do certain things all the time. So you kind of lose that. And it's great. I, I love being a, around young the young players and being able to just see their, the youth and exuberance. and just It's the passion for the game and get to know these guys and watch them from high school all the way through the NFL. That stuff is so rewarding. It's fun to be able to cover them and write stories about them and stuff. But, you know, you lose a little something that if you, you think, oh, it'd be great to be around the team every day, but it wouldn't be the same for you because now you're not a fan. And, you know, you lose that the fandom. You're not a fan anymore. It's it, To be honest, I was a big Steeler fan. But I'm, I'm not – it's kind of lost 
and I'm not a fan of much as far as sports go anymore. I don't live and die by any teams. And I used to, but, you know, doing covering, being, you know, covering being a sports journalist, I, I kind of lost some of that. So I know it's a little sad, I guess, but it's also, you know, I love, I love what I'm doing and I love being able to, you know, support myself and my family and, and employ other people and help them support their family by this little website I started and it's grown and become the biggest one there is for USC. Um, so I love that. I love the entrepreneurial part of that. I love being the football part, but as far as the fan part, yeah, being objective, it's, you know, isn't that really hard anymore because I mean, you, all the stuff you have to do, you just can't, you can't be a fan anymore and still cover it. And I think that's the problem with some of the blogs and they want to be credentialed. Uh, you have to kind of step away from the, being the fan at that point. Um, a lot of the blogs are very fanny and even some of the, the sites on like scout and everything, some of them don't can be that way too, but um, you shouldn't be um, especially if you're talking to recruits and covering recruiting, that's an NCAA violation waiting to happen. So yeah, there's a lot of issues with that. Um, if you want to, I mean, if you wanted to be a fan and cover the team and talk to recruits, you're actually hurting the team you're trying to be a fan of. You can't do that kind of stuff. Um, so hopefully that answered your question there. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, people ask me kind of stuff like that all the time. Hello, Ryan. It's been a pleasant couple more here. It's a pleasant surprise to see this elite group of athletes come together and perform as we knew we could. How much is this program of the team due to the maturity of the team, Helton's coaching style, or maybe both? Uh, still sure. Still not sure if he should be hired by, by SC. Probably not. My concern is observing um, Ajax. He's talking about Dory Jackson in the backfield and getting running plays from the snap. Just a setup for injuries. That's like taking Edelman from the Patriots, getting behind Brady and run the football. Uh, Dory Jackson's best in the slot, using his speed to beat any defender on him. Just look at his scoring highlights. Hello, Helton. Wake up. Uh, thanks from Mike in Rhode Island. And so, yeah, so the other stuff we kind of talked about as far as Clay Helton, but for uh, Dory Jackson, he can do it all. I don't think that the risk of injury, if he's not going to get that many carries um, in the Utah game, when Soba Vanuku scored that touchdown, he was in there in the backfield as a decoy. Um, and I think I, li- I like the way they're using Dory Jackson, where it depends on which game, what side of the ball is going to play more. Uh, Utah had a better defense. They needed him on offense. Cal had a better offense. They needed him on defense. And I think you'll you'll probably see him because Arizona runs the football a little bit more. I think we'll see a, a pretty good mix against Arizona. He was mixing it up today at practice. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, I, I, I like the way they're using him, just to say. So I, I'm not saying never use him in the backfield. They're not going to use him all that much in the backfield when they do. So I wouldn't worry about that too much. And one last one. Man, there's a whole lot of questions. I'm glad I got to knock them all out. But one last one. This is from Brent and Idaho Falls in Idaho. He says, love the show. And I, Idaho is where he's from. I think I said Iowa. Love the show. My buddy Jay from Ukaipa turned me on a few months ago, and I haven't missed one since. Well, thanks, Jay. And uh, thanks, Brent, for listening. Question is, with the general consensus being the letting Coach O go was a mistake. Uh, be, uh, general consensus being that letting Coach O was a mistake. If Clay Helton finishes the season undefeated, Will the administration take a real look at Clay? Or are they going to be set on finding someone from outside the school? Thanks for all the great information weekly, uh, Brett. And, uh, yeah, you know, we talked about this a bunch of times. I wanted to re- read the, at least the first part of your question because of the, you had a reference there, and I wanted to give Jay Kuiper a little shout-out. Um, I do think, though, as far as real looks go, if he wins out, they'll give him a real look. Not guaranteeing. I think that's how he has to be considered. Basically, simple as that. Um, you know, maybe he can do some things to kind of, you know, help his chances. I think he's fighting an uphill battle, but it really is going to be about winning. He lost his first game. It was a rival. You lose the UCLA, I think it's a done, done deal. Done. No way. Um, and, and the rest of the games, I think if you lose to Oregon, it's probably done. And really, if you lose to to Arizona, that's an upset. That's, that's probably a deal breaker. And losing to Colorado is certainly a deal breaker. So, I mean, honestly, you look at it, he has to win out to be considered, is my opinion there. All right. Well, that's, man, we got through a ton of questions. Even ones from last week, they're kind of left over for the solo podcast. So one hour, try to talk and answer questions for an hour just by yourself and see how that goes. Your voice is kind of done. Hopefully I'm going to go grab some dinner here in a minute. But thank you so much for listening to Peristyle Podcast. Um, This was our solo show. Don't forget, we got Ricky Ellison coming back tomorrow. So that should be a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you next time. 
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.